You know, let me tell you a joke, all right? Mm-hmm. There's three guys, and they're walking down the street. One guy says to the other one, Hey, your shoe's untied. He says, I know that. And they walk, no. There's two guys, they're walking down the street. And one of them says to the other one, Your shoe's untied. And the other guy says, I know that. And they walk a couple blocks further, and they see a third friend, and he comes up and he says, Your shoe's untied. Ah, I can't remember this joke. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. I'm sure. Yeah. Episode 131 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook at the Cult of Matt and Mark and like us, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And my book, Nova Byzantium, is out. Out, courtesy of Mask why, Books. Why haven't so, you bought it yet, guys? Come on, what's the hold yeah, up? Yeah, come on, pump up the numbers. Uh, so uh, head over to Amazon. Uh, as maligned and uh, controversial as they are, and uh, grab my book. Uh, it's it's good, and it's not because I wrote it. Actually, it is because I wrote it. So anyway, <laughs> you know, I was looking um, at but, the. They tell you all the things, all the rights you get when you buy when you buy the book on Amazon, and one it has a, it's reading enabled, like the computer reading enabled. So I was like, but I, I figured out like on my Android app. It won't read it. I think you actually have to have a physical Kindle to do that reading. Oh, really? It pissed that me off because I wanted to sort of, you know, listen to it like, uh, you know, while I'm doing stuff around the house and stuff instead of sitting down and reading because I'm, you know. You're an active guy. Well, no, I have I have no attention span. I need to have like oh, multiple okay. things going on at once okay. to keep me excited. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's out. Also, my other novel, uh, Chronophage, under the nom de plume M.G. Churchill is out. So uh, two books of mine out there you can uh <clears throat> collect them all and uh i don't know hopefully i can get enough uh money here so mark doesn't have to work anymore i'll still be working but i so i don't have to work anymore well yeah, man. Be- i'm gonna sign all the rights to you <laughs> oh great i'll go around my and sign them. I'll, I'll just i'll put on my matt disguise which i have <laughs> that's, i use it occasionally right. Yeah, you'll be my money manager. It'll be like uh, you know one of those child stars your parents like. Uh, and I'll embezzle every last red cent. I guarantee. Yeah, rip you. it off, rip them off, and then they're like destitute, and then they get hooked on coke. And, Just hookers and, and blow, you know, hookers and blow. It's like Mark, where's all the money I had you take care of? And then like, up Whoa. my nose with <laughs> a rubber hose. <laughs> so uh, show news this week. Uh, I'm I'm recovered from my uh, ailment. I lost my voice completely last uh, weekend, so. It took me about like four days to get it back. So uh, where, anyway. where, where are you getting all these diseases from, Matthew? Um, Liberia, Guinea, uh, Sierra Leone. Oh, you've been doing some black ops in your spare time? Been a lot of business travel, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know. No, at daycare, it's like the uh, West Africa of uh, uh, my life. It's where all diseases originate, and so... Anyway, but uh, this is just one in a long line of this past couple of months, so I am recovered. And uh, here I am, ready to do the podcast. Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, the more I agree with Isaac Asimov and his book Caves of Steel, where uh, 
it was like on some planet with a very low human population and in part of the society was you never saw another human you were just surrounded by androids right. and yeah uh m- machines that served your needs and it was like verboten to run into somebody else and then people would have sex with their robots and stuff right wasn't that um you know amazingly how bad for how bad Asimov was at writing sex scenes. I think he might have avoided them in that book, but I couldn't be certain. It's been a long time since I've read it. There's a uh, an old heavy metal song. Uh, I want to. Oh, it's uh, like Iron Dick or Iron Cock mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. by this band. Like what were they called? I'm saying like Coven or something. And I was like, I remember one lyric. And it was like pulsating steel protruding from my thighs. She who spreads is she who dies. Which I thought was a great heavy metal lyric for yeah, a man sweet. with an iron penis. Yeah. So, all right. This week, our film is the 1984 uh, indie. Uh, is it? Is it the Jarmish's first film? Uh, his first real film. Yeah. His first real film, uh, Stranger Than Paradise. He had one. He had one film beforehand, a sort of art school film. It's actually on the DVD that I got for this for this movie. Uh, but I didn't watch it. It looked uh, okay. even more pretentious, if you could imagine. That's pretty. That's pretty pretentious. Uh, all right. So plot rundown: self-styled New York hipster is paid a surprise visit by his younger cousin from Budapest. From initially host- from initial hostility and indifference, a small degree of affection grows between the two. Along with a friend, they eventually end up visiting their aunt in the wastelands of Cleveland and then proceed to Florida where they lose all their money gambling before unwittingly gaining a fortune. So it unfortunately is like a week and a half when I watched this movie. So I'm trying to dredge up all my uh, recollection. I I watched this in my early 20s and I remember enjoying it quite a bit. But I think, I think, I don't know, it just didn't really resonate me like, like I remember it before. I think it's because I've come to hate hipsters so much. And these fucking two guys, Eddie and Willie, they're just fucking no good, two bit hustling hipsters. And yeah, I just, I they just, swindle. And they, you know, they rip I, people off. And I, you know, I just didn't I didn't have that feeling when I first watched it. I guess I hadn't developed that, you know, loathing by that time. And so yeah. I was more open to like the characters because they do have some positive traits, especially Eddie and even Willie there. We see a little bit of it in that scene where he's trying to tell a joke, which is actually a, actually a pretty nice scene. Uh, real deft hand there um, to have a conversation while sort of not really actually having a conversation. It was, it was, I thought it was really interesting. And the movie had moments like that, but I ended up really disliking, especially Willie in this film. Uh... Well, okay, for, for I guess for starters, um the uh it had an indie obviously it has the indie feel and Oh man, this film makes, was a fucking darling of the critics when it came out. Well just, they just they cream themselves over this film. Well, it reminded me of Coffee and Cigarettes, which Jermish, I believe he directed all of it. I think he directed all of it, or maybe just a vignette. I don't remember exactly, but uh Anyway, uh, it had a very static, it was black and white, which is, you know, kind of the go-to indie format. It's like, oh, we'll just do black and white and it'll be, you know, uh, well, I mean, just low str- budget. Yeah, strictly from a budget standpoint, it's a huge difference when you're working on a shoestring. I mean, just, just like clerks. I mean, the only reason it does black and white is because processing color is so much more expensive. Well, and so... Obviously, they're uh, they don't have multiple shot angles, so you get 
<coughs> fairly static shots of a single camera mm-hmm. that's uh, on a scene. Um, so when people are talking, they're all on the frame. You don't get like a kind of a close up on one person, and when that other person talks, and it switches. And yeah, it's kind of a I don't know a hallmark of of indie film, and it's okay. Yeah, you're right. Like Clerks was like that, and so this had this in Spades, mm-hmm. a very low budget feel, lo fi feel to it. Yeah, super uh, which lo-fi. is fine. Which is fine. Uh, I didn't mind that so much. I, I guess. Uh, the hipster thing, I I think I've grown out of of. But you I like swingers so much. Well, that's a different that's a different film. Uh, I think at one time, maybe in maybe in my early twenties, I may have aspired yeah. to sort of this beatnik, uh, you know, pseudo Jack Kerouac outlook that these two guys have i mean they're this movie is sort of a uh i guess a reinvention of on the road and i don't know if anybody's read on the road uh on the road is an old jack kerouac novel and i it's famous uh, for some reason and i think (laughs) i think like everybody in their early 20s has picked up on the road and read half of it i've never known anybody who's read the whole goddamn thing everybody reads about half of it and then they realize that it's just going to be more of the same and it's all very uh, boring. And there's not – did you ever read On the Road? No, I, I bought it, but I never got very far into it. You know, if I just want to watch somebody aimlessly meander through life, I'll just look in a mirror. Yeah, well, <laughs> can you romanticize that up a little bit? Because that's what. Uh, Can I yeah. make it sound more romantic? Sure, I'll have loves and you know I don't know interpersonal. Well, you got a motorcycle. You can like drift from city to city working dead end jobs and. <laughs> no, I'll know, just stay in one city working a dead end job. Thanks. Oh well, when you write your life story, just change the name of that city about every few months, and then you'll get on the road. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I I guess. God, what what is it? I was when I watched this, I just. I can't figure out what people liked about it so much. I mean, it's got it's got a couple of moments. Certainly, like there's a, there's a couple of really great moments. The, the joke moment that we heard at the beginning. I really love it when they're sitting there and you hear the train running in the background at the, in the yeah. bad neighborhood in Cincinnati and oh, Cleveland. Uh, oh Cleveland. yeah, Cleveland. And um, <clears throat> and the other scene is when they're in the movie theater. Fuck, that is great when they're just watching that Rock'em Sock'em movie. Oh yeah, right. And, and then there's the the guy, the hanger on who who's into uh, what's the what's the what's the uh, Eva's mm-hmm. she's into is it into Eva? But obviously Eva's not into her enough to kick these two guys to the curb and go and hang with this guy by herself. So yeah, yeah, uh, but Billy. But you know, when you see each character, you see the you know the Eddie. He's sort of a he's a little bit of a simpleton. And not yeah. not in a bad way, sort of in a positive way. I mean, if you're just going to be a just sort of somebody who bums around life. It's sort of better to be that way about it. Just sort of be Zen about it. Like life takes me wherever it does. And then there's the ever unhappy Willie with his lot in life. You know, he, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he hates his, he hates his heritage. You know, uh, he, he sort of hates, he's mean to everybody around him. And, uh, he's sort of fuming over on the other side of the group of four watching the movie. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, and then there's there's like the 
And then Eva, she's inscrutable. You have no idea what's going on in her head at any point in time in this movie. And I, just, I thought that really summed things up really well, and it was a really nice scene. Uh, oh, yeah, in the theater. Um, I like the scene where they're in the... I, I must say I didn't really like this movie. I'm just going to get that off my chest. Yeah, that's I, all I, right. I you know, I wasn't that crazy about it on the second viewing either. And I am I was, can't really feel, put my finger on why I liked it the first time. I think maybe... We, I've said this a million times. Maybe it has a more of a younger person sensibility. Oh, it definitely has that. And again, I just... I, I, I attached on the road to it. Uh, and when I did that, I think I kind of made it a little irredeemable. Because I, I, I just, on the road is such a... Uh, Pretentious I, bunch of whiny crap. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the, I guess it's a, it's a beatnik novel. All the beats are kind of like... beat. The beat writers are sort of... They remind me of sort of... I guess what the beat was to writing in the 50s, grunge was to music in the 90s. Because grunge was like just a bunch of bands from Seattle that didn't they had kind of some similar sounds but then a lot of them sounded completely different and to be honest Jack Kerouac his writing is nothing like William S Burroughs's writing and they're completely two different things but Jack Kerouac was I guess the uh um maybe he was the most attractive of the beats maybe that's why he got some airtime so just a second you said you you don't know anybody who finished on the road including myself I can't say that did you finish it no, I got halfway through. I, I've talked to maybe two or three people who've picked up on the road and read it. Uh-huh. And I go, how far did you get? Oh, about halfway. And the, the book is like in halfway through, it's like he goes back home to New York and hangs out for a month or two. And then he gets back on the road with, I forget who his buddy is. He has a traveling buddy. And then after that, they're like headed down to the south. And you're like, you know what? This is just going to be more of the same bullshit. I don't really care. There's not going to be any revelation. There's no plot to this. Mm-hmm. It's it's more or less um, two guys uh, hoboing it around, <laughs> picking up like these weird odd jobs, like working as a migrant farmer or as a carny, um, finding some uh, beat was kind of the word that they used. I guess it means uh, sort of beat up or used or... Um, Mm, vintage i don't know there it it, it, it beats a weird word uh the, it gets used a lot and he uses it to describe things and so willie uh, is kind of beat in this he, he he's definitely uh, a man that doesn't enjoy his era i.e the mid 80s so he kind of you know he could live in the he could be a character in the fifties or the thirties, right? I mean, isn't that the kind of the impression you get? Yeah, he's he, he a, seems uh, out of place in the city. I mean, if this was shot in color, it would have been really weird, even weirder. The movie, yeah, like he'd have shitty flock of seagulls hair and you know uh, members only jacket, and there'd be like he'd be listening to a Walkman or something. Well, it's like the guys there when they're playing when they're playing uh, poker. The guy, the guys they're playing with look like they're from the 80s, but Eddie and Willie don't. Yeah, they look like, they fucking look like Jack Kerouac just dumped off a train. Uh, yeah, that, I just wonder, what, what's Jim Jarmusch thinking when he's doing this? I think he's just, he has a boner for Jack Kerouac. That's, I think, that's I think all he, I got from this movie. Uh, and yeah. he wanted to write his own uh, on the road, and much to, uh, uh, I guess, my... Um, 
lack of fascination, I wanted to put the book down or the movie down about halfway through it. I was like, eh. Well, it was interesting. <laughs> the movie was shot in two parts. The first part in New York was uh, done as a short, which was really well received. And then it was uh, the two other sections, the uh, Cincinnati and the Florida. Cleveland. Oh, Cleveland? Right. I don't know. Cleveland and... Um, it's Ohio, man. It's a very distinct regions and cultures and people. Really? No, it's Cincinnati's down on the south on the Ohio River. It's right across from Kentucky, um, and Cleveland's up on the on the lake. Oh, it's on so. Lake Erie. Remember, they go to the lake. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go to the lake, and it's just a icy, horrible wasteland. You know, you know, I don't know anything about that part of the country. Jesus, man, don't you know a little geography? Uh, a little bit. I was never really fascinated too much with geography. Do you know? Do, do okay. Never mind. I, I know that Cleveland rocks. Is that right? I've never been to Cleveland. I can't say what it is. Well, I'm pretty I'm sure. sure. Isn't, I'm isn't sure that where I, the uh, Drew Carey there, show was set? What's that? Drew Carey show was set in Cleveland, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Because I remember at the end of the credits, I, I hated the Drew Carey show. But every <laughs> once in a while, I'd watch it. Uh, just, you know, in some sort of masochistic state. And that's what, like, they had a song where they were running around Cleveland. And it kept, and the song was basically, Cleveland rocks. Cleveland's great. That was the song. I was walking in downtown Seattle once, and I walked past this uh, doorway, and there was this homeless black lady sitting there, uh, (laughs) looking there, you know, as we all try to ignore homeless people when we're walking down the streets, because we just assume that they don't exist. They're non-people, you know. That's what we do. Well, do you want to know a homeless guy? Not really. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. And anyway, so I kind of... I I just happened to look over at her and and uh, she goes, "Hey, it's, how's it going, Drew Carey?" <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck, man, I look like Drew Carey." She she nailed it. I was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> that 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 crazy homeless woman is fucking spot on. Did did you do that sort of big that big toothy smile that uh, sort of with an open mouth? Yeah, the big, yeah, <laughs> the big gap tooth smile. No, I actually started laughing. Because I just, I just I was like that is fucking hilarious. You well, she I, she I deserves a fiver for that joke. That's I know. I I I I I should have gave her some charity for that uh, quip because it was pretty damn funny. It got me laughing. I was uh-huh. like, yeah. Here I thought I looked like you know somebody else that was a little bit more handsome, but now I look like Drew Carey. Well, so where I was coming from with this movie is I don't really have all this. I mean, I have the baggage for the thing. I hate hipsters for some reason, but. It's I don't have quite the Jack Kerouac beatnik thing because I don't, never really paid much attention to it. I'm just trying to figure out, aside from all that baggage, what is the film trying to tell us? <coughs> That's I mean, my problem. I mean, what is the point of the film? I mean, there's there's moments. Don't get me wrong. There's moments that I really enjoy in this film, especially they usually involve uh, Eddie for some reason because I sort of like that character, like when they're playing cards with Aunt Lottie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think yeah. it's pretty cool, and uh, I mean, there's just moments here and there, uh, like when they go to see um, Eva at the hot dog stand. They're sort of hiding their faces from her so they can surprise her. I mean, th- those are neat little moments, but the whole movie doesn't really add up to much. And uh, it doesn't have it doesn't have a message. It doesn't. And I, I you know, in the be quite honest, the ending <laughs> sort of confused me. Yeah, that ending didn't make any sense. I mean, there's, I mean, it does make a certain amount of sense if you look at it. just mechanically. I mean, it's pretty goofy how they come into money. I mean, how Eva comes in. Yeah, money, that so. was kind of dumb. I that's thought sort that of was stupid. Like that's sort of out of left field. But even even given that, 
Uh, I mean, the whole the business that happens at the uh, at the at the at the airport with the sort of the mix up that uh, Eva goes to buy a ticket to Europe, but all she can get is a ticket to Budapest, and she's like, I don't want to go there, so she doesn't buy the ticket and leaves. And then uh, Willie shows up and thinks she got on the plane to Budapest, and he buys that ticket and gets on, but somehow ends up taking off. And then, yeah, and then she doesn't. Eddie thinks that they both left him, and he takes off. And then she yeah. goes back to the hotel room. Is, I yeah. don't. Is what is it? Is that supposed to be some sort of slap? Is that supposed to be some uh, sort of uh, comedy routine? Like who's on first sort of business at the end? I, Are we I don't to know. Laugh at that? I, I, I think I was kind of burnt out by that point. Uh, the, the the problem I had is is that for starters, a guy like Willie isn't keeping his passport with him. I'm assuming. So I was like, how the fuck would he go to Budapest? You gotta have a passport, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. How could he just get on a plane without? I'm a sure, passport? like even back in the '80s, you needed a passport to get to another country. I don't think a well, driver's license would have cut it. Oh, this is Hungary. This is Iron Curtain Hungary. Right there, you go. It's it's yeah. Even it's still even behind the Iron intense. Curtain at this time, isn't it? When so it... let's just assume that he probably wasn't going to Hungary. He was going somewhere else. I mean, that, what else could you assume? I, so I have where no, was he going? I, I have no idea that he blew everybody off, and they weren't clear who had the money. You know, who had the the money yeah. he left? Who had well, his main chunk of money? Who had the money from the horse racing? I, I just I didn't quite understand what they were going for at the very end. It almost felt like they sort of like a, a song that's got sort of its own groove to it, and it's, you know, they're sort of jamming, and then they wrap it up with sort of a stupid little bit that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's sort of how no, it felt I, to I, me. I, I, yeah, I just, I kind of would just write off the end. I mean, I don't know what it was. It was sort of half-baked, I guess. And I think, and, I think it was, uh, but God damn it, people loved this movie. Well, and I don't know why. Uh, There's got to be something maybe, I'm missing. Well, the okay, uh, let's look at it in the context of the mid-'80s. Uh, maybe it was, uh, had a look and a feel in some characters that defied... 1984 in such a way mm. that that made it attractive and mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily like uh i mean we we've kind of seen this movie retread uh maybe in our you know in sort of like our generation and in the style and maybe we're taking some things for granted yeah i don't think this type of film existed then yeah it's, and it's so it came like out kinda, of, came out of nowhere and it, it had a fresh feel to it with some young, aimless people mm-hmm. that necessarily uh, had a narrative, but not necessarily a point. You and know, they, had, like they had, pre- some, had a nice camera that took some time to get some shots, some nice little scenes. It wasn't hurry. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I'm sure that must have been, that might have been really fresh, refreshing to the critics at the time. Maybe, we're, maybe coming out of the hot 70s, you know, Hollywood just became sort of, maybe there just wasn't that great of stuff. But we keep going back to the 80s, the early 80s for action movies. Well, yeah, yeah. I I keep thinking uh, about this movie and Richard Linklater's uh, Slacker, which I really enjoyed. Mm. And Slacker is a different film, obviously, than this because it doesn't have any main characters. It just goes from vignette to vignette to vignette. But it has sort of the same sensibility, you know, kind of a uh, oh early 20s quirkiness. I wouldn't call it necessarily hipsters. Maybe it was the hipsters of our era. But uh, just kind of some affectations of young people, 
wandering through their 20s, a little bit aimless, uh, speaking to people, I guess, on that level. Yeah, you know? and, uh, young people are fucking annoying. They are, man. <laughs> they, they, you know, the, that's the problem with getting older. You, uh, and it, you don't have to go back that far, yeah. but go back. I mean, sometimes I'll try to listen to eavesdrop on somebody in their 20s having a conversation. And I'm not talking like late 20s. I'm talking like early 20s, like 24, 25. And it's like a, a weird time warp that that you can say, I've had a conversation like that before. And it's like old chewed gum. You just say, like, oh, my God, it's so tedious and boring. How awful. I, I, you know, it's that thing you can never go home again. And so to me, like the worst uh, life you could live would be like a vampire where you're stuck at the age 24 and you have to have conversations with 24-year-olds your whole life. Oh, God, you just be having the same conversations over and over again. I mean, could you imagine, like, I mean, you just turned, you turned the big four zero. Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Uh, congrats, man. The fifth, the fifth decade, you're into the fifth decade. But uh, if you went back, like, even if you listened to our old conversations, not knowing us, but you went back to... Uh, you know, the early 90s and listen to us yammer on. You'd be like, oh my God, what a bunch of fucking pretentious know-nothings. And it, it'd be Even more it'd be so exhaustive. than now, mean. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Now we're awesome because everybody listens to us and fucking loves what we have to say. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm a know-nothing and I sort of know I know nothing now, which is sort of too bad. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know what it is. Like, uh, you're trying to get a handle on the world and so... And also, there's sort of a there's sort of a positiveness, I think, that goes with it too. A hopefulness. Well, yeah, sort of a youthful exuberance, like things are going to work out, and you're young, and mm-hmm. you can fuck up a lot. And uh, you know, with this movie, uh, there's an I guess a spontaneity. Maybe that's a little bit attractive. Like, hey, let's go to Florida. Okay, we're going to Florida. Let's go back and get even. Go to Florida. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, but you know the thing is, is I've done stuff like this when I was young, where I had like we had spontaneous ideas. But then they never really flesh out like that. Like they're they're in the car driving for fucking ever, you know. You can yeah, get, see, like, they have uh, those ideas here, and, and they don't really pan out. Yeah, oh, we're gonna of, go to Florida, sort of and they get to Florida, and Florida looks exactly how I would expect Florida to fucking look. It's just a you know flat palm trees and some shitty trailers here and there, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they get, and they stay in sort of this you know dumpy. Uh, like kind of beach motel in some sort of faded resort city, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, not you know, Miami. Look, at least it's not as cold as back in Cedar Falls. I mean, Cleveland. God damn, man! You fucking get get, get that town right once. Cedar Falls. Like I, I get that Detroit thing. memorized here pretty soon. Uh, Toledo. Yeah. <laughs> Toledo. Uh, anyway, so. There's that, I guess, maybe. It's just a little bit of uh, uh, like those kind of failed road trips Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, used to go on when you were young. Well, maybe people would like like that honesty of this, that it is the sort of failure of unplanned spontaneity that happens in this film. Maybe they like that honesty. Yeah, because like Cleveland's awful. Why would we go to Cleveland? There's that great scene. Who's Eddie, a sidekick? Is that who Mm -hmm. the sidekick is? And he says something great about traveling. I think he, he nails it, at least for me. Uh, and he's and it's it's a take on the whole uh, 
uh, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. Bit where they're standing in like on some just desolate chunk of Cleveland. You know, oh, like on the tracks. train tracks. Yeah, and he goes, "Isn't it weird how like wherever you go, it just seems like the same place?" He says something along those mm-hmm. lines. I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly the exact quote. Well, he hadn't really been anywhere. <laughs> he keeps talking about how every place is nice, but he's never actually been there. Uh, in the first, is that his deal? Film. It's like, okay. oh, you're going to Cleveland. Uh, that's a beautiful town. Got the lake there. It's beautiful. <laughs> and then uh, Eva goes, oh, you've been there? He goes, oh, no, 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 never been there. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I, don't know what kind of naivete it would take to tell somebody that Cleveland's beautiful, but I think we all know better. And I've it's called small talk Cleveland. with somebody you don't I know. I guess. Yeah. But, and maybe it's the U.S., uh, but uh, when you go someplace, even – some place that you think is exotic. Uh, people live in those locations, mm-hmm. and they have an everyday. You know, they have a, a, an everyday in these places that you go visit, and that everyday, you get a feel for it after spending a little time in, in a place, and that everyday is just kind of depressing a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Like you, you see, like it may be kind of you'd be you're on vacation, but that's this is a place where people work and live and fucking have to get up in the morning and uh you know work week in work week out and uh maybe don't leave that place very much and you just kind of get this oh fuck man it's just sort of i know i'm in hawaii Mm -hmm. but there's something a little bit depressing about it like you drive by you know some i don't know construction uh, outfit and you see some guys in their work clothes and it kind of gets you down a little bit you know that there's people like doing the everyday shit in paradise and it just it gets to me a little bit and so i don't know and that's no, kind of how Hawaii i take sort that of line. blows unless you have money oh to live there yeah uh be fucking god awful yeah, to be expensive broke it's tough to, it's t- even tougher to make ends meet there Oh, and then you get island fever, and you're stuck in the middle of like mm-hmm. the Pacific Ocean. You're working you know, a no dead road end trips job in the middle of the ocean with no wow. money to go anywhere. Hell, you That's don't have crazy. enough money to buy a fifty dollar ticket to go to the Big Island. Oh no, yeah, you're totally. You can't even go on a road trip. Yeah, I mean, go on a road yeah. trip that'll last like a whole two hours. You can go up to the top of Haleakala again, again Whoopie and again. Fucking do. Oh my god. Wouldn't that yeah, be crazy? see, Wouldn't that be terrible. See, if you stayed long enough, you get a window of that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know. I, I think it, it's fun right now for a few days, but there's no fucking way I could do this for very long. But, I mean, Cleveland's a different story, obviously. Cleveland isn't known as any kind of a vacation location. But I just like that line because, to me, that's that's mm-hmm. maybe it's a little, um, what's the right word? It takes the piss out of traveling a little bit. But, yeah, uh, I think I think you're right. I think my I think my viewing of this movie was sort of clouded by my dislike for the for the Willie character. Yeah, well, he is a, he's 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 a dick. I mean, he, yeah, he's a dick, and he treats his cousin like shit until he kind of warms up to her. He after treats a while. his aunt like shit, and he, yeah. he turns his back on his heritage. You know, what, what do you think about like the whole Hungarian aspect of this film? I was trying to fear if Jarmusch, you know, has like a Hungarian background and i don't know if it's all does. i could get i, I didn't see I it anywhere but i thought it was interesting that sort of aspect to the movie I, I don't know why it was in there so i assumed it was something personal that he put in it like he had a hungarian connection jarmush it sounds you know it, it sounds sort of hungarian i'm too lazy to type it in and figure out where he's from 
I was going to do that, but my internet went down before we started the podcast. (laughs) So uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, and and the other thing is is when she was stuck in the in the motel all day, Mm -hmm. that really depressed me because I've been stuck in motels because travel plans have been interrupted, or I don't know, I'm on business and I just this is where I'm stuck, you know, and being stuck there all day just seems horrible. I don't know, so. I had I had a little bit of empathy for Eva. Yeah, really, yeah, like a cheap, like musty smelling hotel room in a yeah. crappy motel. Oof. And I was like, well, at least there's a beach as shitty as it is. It didn't even know. look like the weather was that nice. No, I, I mean winter. Florida in winter. I don't. I mean, it's it. They probably in, were in North Florida. They probably didn't get that far. You know. Yeah, they just got they just got into the Panhandle or something. Yeah, I mean Florida in winter, I mean, it can get unpleasant. I mean, it's not bikini weather, you know, so uh, it didn't look particularly appetizing other than there's no snow. Well, you know, at least it was nicer than Buffalo. The Buffalo? I mean, uh, Cleveland. Oh, Buffalo. Fuck, you did it again? Fucking pull yourself up a map of Ohio and fucking stare at Cleveland for a while. You're just just yanking my chain. Fucker. Uh, All right. So, um... I don't know. I think we should just go see. I think we should see what Ebert says. All right, we're, because we're, he we're he liked it, and early. maybe he'll, you know, maybe he's, he'll give us some jags that. Uh, well, we're okay, not let's speculate right a little bit before we hit the review. What what do you think is going? Did he like it? Do you know if he liked it? Yeah, he gave it four stars. I okay, so here, so what do you think it. is going to be his number one? His his number one like, um, yeah. I think he's going to like the sort of realness of it that we sort of got onto in the sense that the sort of aimless, pointless sort of foolishness of these early twenties people just deciding to roam around and really just running into more dead ends. Uh, do you think he likes maybe some of the real dialogue, like uh, like that that scene that you played at the beginning with sort oh, of these yeah. awkward? encounters that are mm-hmm. seem half improvised and aren't very stylized that that are sort of how people would interact in these situations that kind of thing i think he'll like that he'll like the older cinematography with the the camera that's placed and uh, the that's not worth is- none of this is worth four stars unfortunately that's my that's that's probably why i'm going to disagree with him and he has uh, i think he's going to talk about his big woody he has for jarmish <laughs> Ebert reviewed this movie back in 1984. I doubt January 1st. Sounds like there's some database errors in these dates. Gives it four stars. So, well, here we go. Let's go into this sort of inscrutable review. He says, A Stranger Than Paradise is filmed in a series of uninterrupted shots. The pictures fade in. We watch a scene, and when the season's over, there's a fade to black. I mean, I like that sort of pacing to it. You got a little bit of that feel in uh dead man ah uh, that's true the sort yeah, of this black beat, and white again there's sort of yeah. a beat to it this movie yeah i mean i mean I, I enjoyed that i'm not saying i didn't i sort of like that feel and i, I mean that remind me a little bit of dead man which, which i really like um <clears throat> he says this uh this sort of fade in fade out is not a gimmick but a vision but a visual equivalent of the film's deadpan characters I don't know. I don't okay. know what, what does that even mean? It's so straightforward. 
Does it does it mean anything to you? No. Okay. No. Uh they said that the he, he does describe the uh the main character Willie nicely. He says he's uh after he moved from Hungary, he spent the last ten years perfecting his New York accent. <laughs> is that what his story was? He's only been in the country 10 years? Uh, I don't see where he got the 10 years from. I don't remember them ever mentioning the time span. But you certainly get the idea that he was born and raised, as his childhood at least, or the majority of it was in Hungary. Or by a Hungarian family that spoke a lot of Hungarian. I don't know. I didn't I didn't really get his backstory like that. So. Yeah, I, I don't know where he got that either. Um, I mean, that, I had a similar feeling. It seemed... It seemed it, the ten years thing seemed right to me. I mean, it seems like way. like maybe like his parents moved here when he was like five or you know around then, and that he could adopt an uh, English with an American accent a bit. But I didn't. Well, I mean, it's not simply moving there; they had to escape Hungary. I mean, I yeah, knew a right. guy that fucking yeah. marched across the goddamn Alps. Well, and then how did she just fly in? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe things. Well, had, maybe maybe things had yeah. eased up by that point. You can get yeah, you get visitors visas. I don't know. Um. <clears throat> okay, so he he says that uh, summing up the first part of the film, I like this in two sentences. For the nothing much happens. Eva leaves for Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 intermission, stand up, ovation. Yeah, exactly. and then he goes on uh, saying, after that, the screen is filled with large letter, letters. One year later, before it starts the next scene. He says, this in itself is funny, that we'd get such a momentous time cue in a movie where uh, who even knows what day it is. I don't get that. Mm, it's not that existential. It's not like The Shining, you know, where it's like Tuesday. Yeah, it's and one year yeah. fucking later. Okay. We're supposed to know Got it. some time passed. Why is that funny? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, six months later would have been f- like eight and a half months later i don't know i don't so what yeah. okay anyways then they talk to you know they go to cleveland and the, and the, they go see uh eva and he talks about who eva's staying with the aunt lottie he he says that aunt lottie turns out to make clara peller look like dame peggy ashcroft that's wow true. there's two there's two references that just went right over my head i mean I think that sums her up, that character up perfectly. Yeah, I have a perfect vision. He described her to a T. I'm going to remember that. Oh, my God. Did you? Do you know either of those names? It makes uh, Fatty Arbuckle <laughs> look like uh, Stan Laurel, really. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I didn't know either. Um, <clears throat> anyways, it goes on to the, the latter part of the film uh, that the, the characters have a postcard. That makes Florida look like paradise, but they end up uh, living in one of those hotels where the permanent guests live in the woodwork. I don't know what he's talking about that. I don't either. I, I mean, like they, do, they do end hotel? up. Yeah, maybe. Know. You get that point where it's like some people down their luck end up there. Yeah. Uh, he says everything goes sour, which it does. Eva wants to go back to Hungary. That's that's just patently false. She doesn't yeah, want to no. go back to Hungary. Yeah. She wants to go to Europe, but anywhere but Hungary. Yeah, yeah, I, she just escaped, I guess, did he, right? Did he, not, did he not pay attention to the end of the movie? He was just so, he was just, he, he, he had such four stars, stars in his eyes. He gave his four fucking stars. He was so dazzled. He didn't dazzled. realize at the end that Eva did not want to go to Budapest? So dazzled with his indie love that he could not see through the haze to the actual characters and what happened. Okay, so to um, sum up the, how the movie ended, he goes, talking about, you know, how they, they're, 
they're just in a bad way. They lose their money and everything. He says, it will take a miracle to give this movie an upbeat ending. And then he goes, wow. there is a miracle. But then he doesn't say anything else. What's Well, I mean, the thing is... is it's an is, upbeat ending? No. And the other yeah, thing is, is like, when he comes back and loses his money, I'm, I, it's not like the great tragedy of the film. It's not like this... Oh, finally, they made good on horse race, and everything's going to look up for these guys now. They got places to go. I mean, I was just watching. I was like, God, a bunch of dipshits. You know, Eva, I, I Eva got some drug money. What could possibly go wrong with that? Yeah, she should. Yeah, I. How is this up? Yeah. How is that? It just gets worse and worse, and then it just disintegrates at the end. Why is that upbeat? Yeah, it, I, mean, I mean, all three characters go off in their own directions, like they were exploded, like there was an explosion, like an injection of money isn't going to solve any of these characters' problems. Is, that does, it just that makes no sense. Okay, so let's read the uh, the last paragraph where he really sums it up and makes his case for why he gives <laughs> us a four star review. I'm going to read the entire four paragraph. star. Is that his highest rating? Yeah, he that's have, his highest okay. rating. Stranger that's than with like fucking Lawrence of Arabia and fucking uh, yeah. This is the Lawrence uh, of Arabia of the early '80s, uh, and uh, you know Citizen Kane and Vertigo. Four stars. I think this I think this paragraph will really let you know why and, and I think you'll understand at the end of this. Stranger than Paradise is a treasure from one end to the other. Whoa. I saw it for the first time at the nineteen eighty four Cons Film Festival, where it was having its first public showing. Half the people in the theater probably didn't even speak English, but that didn't stop them from giving the movie a standing ovation. And it eventually won the uh, the uh, Camera de Or Prize for the best first film which it did that's true okay. um, it is like no other film you've seen and yet you feel right at home in it whatever that means it's the feel-good movie of the fucking year <laughs> it seems to be going nowhere and however knows every step it wants to make what does that mean oh. it seems to be going nowhere and knows every step it wants to make this is one of Ebert's shittier reviews. Uh, it is a constant, almost kaleidoscopic experience of discovery. <laughs> as we try to figure out what the film is up to, and it just keeps moving steadfastly ahead. Fade in, fade out, fade in, okay. fade out. Making a mountain out of a molehill. The problem with this last horrible paragraph that Ebert writes is that you could... You don't know what film he's talking about. This could be uh, Home Alone. I, there's there's nothing in here that gives you any sort of idea about what this movie is going to be like when you show up in the theater, especially that last paragraph, right? Yeah, no, there's nothing. Uh, I don't. I don't. I kind of really would have. It was such a darling. I would have hoped he would have distilled why people liked it so much. Yet he says nothing. Other than he gushes, like he's almost got all giddy and excited just because everybody else is excited about the film. Uh, yeah, I think this, we this, said more about this film than he did. <laughs> Us and, and we get, two we people who didn't like it, it said more good, accurate things about this film than this review. And we would probably maybe uh, bump up to two stars on this one. Uh, uh, you, know? you know, it had it had some nice moments, and uh, you know, hi- hindsight, Jarmusch has done some really good stuff so i'd probably give it two and a half okay yeah i i what my impression is that this kind of was a uh 
product of groupthink that somebody, a mole or a plant from Jarmish's camp, showed up and, and talked this motherfucker up uh, to a point that, well, it does have that indie feel. Uh, I should like it. Uh, you know what? This is the most amazing movie you ever saw. So it, I think that's, it seems like it's a, it's a product of groupthink and almost mob reviewing that this got rated so highly. It's not a bad movie. It's, uh, I guess it's consistent. Uh, it's got it's, some moments, certainly. It had some, some moments. moments. The only thing I can think of is, is like I said, it's, it's, uh, you know, maybe I might give it, it I might fresh give it for stars. Time. Oh, three stars. Yeah. Okay. I, think I would three. say it's fresh for its time. And it's, we've kind of seen this sort of uh, cinema done over, you know, this sort of low budget indie black and white kind of, it kind of come into its own. Maybe this is just the first time it had really been done in this way. And that's the only thing I can think of. Oh, that's no. why I'm not going to fall. This is this is your argument you've had before where when we watch a, a movie that does something for the first time, it sort of gets dogged because people came along later and did that better, right? Yeah, and, but now I'm and, saying oh God, the I'm going to have to agree with you here. Oh, shit. That's going to bite me in the ass later when I argue the exact opposite point. So, <laughs> what are you agreeing with, to be to be clear? so That can... uh, maybe this whole indie, low-fi, low low-budget, black-and-white thing has been done better since this movie. But maybe this was one of the first uh, to do it in the modern well, era. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily been done better. Uh, I mean... Clerks, man. Just think about well, Clerks. Well, Clerks... Uh, <laughs> this movie was way more well-executed than Clerks, I think, that much. Yeah, this, is is a, this is a better movie than Clerks. Not, better, not nearly better. as funny, though. Yeah, it's not as funny and not as rewatchable. That's no, for sure. I would no, never rewatch no. Stranger Than Paradise. No, um, but I don't know. There, there's a few films that aren't that good, but have, I guess, uh, characters and situations that I can relate to. I'm trying to think of one. There's, there's a movie called uh, Kicking and Screaming. And I think there's a couple of movies called Kicking and Screaming. But this one came out in kind of the mid to early 90s, kind of our generation. Eric Stoltz is in it. It's a bunch about like four guys that live in a house together that are like a year out of college. Um, It's not a particularly good movie. But for whatever reason, I really liked it because it kind of spoke to me because that was the exact same predicament I was in. Maybe, Maybe that's kind of this. I don't know. Maybe it's just sort of speaking to a generation, uh, an aimless generation of of uh, folks that weren't really represented well in mm. the '80s film. I, yeah. I, I don't know, and and it, that yeah, is so. just why it 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 got all this praise. Uh, I think it addressed some things, you know, depicted sort of a lifestyle that was that was kind of out of the ordinary. But it that's it. it it's sort of a pioneer film. And I guess for that is why it gets its praise, but the film in itself is not worthy of what Ebert's pouring onto it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really. It's, it's really too bad. I was really hoping that, that Ebert would be helpful. Oh, a little factoid since we're wrapping this up. Uh, the guy who plays Eddie, Richard Edson, yeah, was the original drummer for Sonic Youth. Get the fuck out. He was their first drummer. He left the band just after their first album came out. 
before they well, broke. Well, this film does have some street cred then. Isn't that interesting? Back. Yeah. You know, I think uh, Eva is in, uh, I think I've seen her in uh, The New Louie. Yeah, she does play there. She's but she's mostly her career has mostly been as a musician. But yeah, oh, really? she is in Louis. Yeah, she does have a Louis character in Louis. Yeah, because like Louis into this Hungarian woman. That's her. He doesn't speak any English, and I, and I was like, oh, that must be yeah, because she looks the same. And how many Hungarian women are there? And mm-hmm. you know, around for for that. So yeah, I was yeah, at that, yeah. So. I, I did read that. That sounds interesting. I see, she's never really acted that much. Ah, uh, you can kind of tell. She doesn't really act a whole lot in this film either. No, no, no. Know, She's sort so. of an inscrutable character in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, we like Jarmusch. I just, I don't know. Well, I think this movie had more problems done. than it had. You know, it got more things wrong than it got right, maybe. I'm looking at what he, what he's done. I haven't seen Ghost Dog. I keep meaning to see Ghost Dog. Yeah, I've been meaning uh, to see that, too. And I like his movies, like his later movies. Like I like Night on Earth and Dead Man, uh, Broken Flowers. I don't know if you saw that or not. I saw that. I, I remember enjoying it, though. I wonder if we might have some similar complaints about it. Hmm. Uh, I I kind of remember it being a little. <clears throat> I want to say slow, bordering on tedious, just a little bit. Yeah, with unlikable uh, characters. I yeah, the, the, it'd, it'd be well, interesting Mer- to go back and visit a Jarmusch film again. See if we can get another positive review like we did for Deadman. Yeah, Deadman was special, and uh, I think it had a lot going for it that <clears throat> made it uh, kind of oh, easier yeah, like to be special. Farmer's yeah. performance, and um, well, yeah. it had big. It had some big names with little nice cameos that just. Uh, you know, because Jarmusch, I guess, when you're an indie darling, you're able to sort of uh, collect these offbeat personalities and put them in film, like coffee and cigarettes, you know, like uh, uh, Iggy Pop and Tom Waits and, you know, the White Stripes and, you know, just, you know, kind of the, the and Bill Murray and yeah. uh, Wu-Tang Clan, you know, those kind of, those kind of, <clears throat> I guess, people that would sign up for a Jarmusch film. And maybe he maybe he really cred. makes the most of that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. He's a weird looking dude, by the way. He kind of looks like a, a fucking uh, hipster. He looks like a cross between Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> and uh, what's his name from Talking Heads. Uh, oh yeah. Hmm. Who the hell? God damn, uh, uh, Burn. Gabriel Burn. Cincinnati Burn. That's what it's Buffalo Burn. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, weird looking dude. But um, anyway, I don't know what he's been doing lately. So, uh, me either. Uh, all right. Well, we talked this one out. I, I thought we'd have more to talk about. I thought it would be like a heated debate. No, like you know, after I all... watched this movie, I, I, you know, and I, when it let me feeling sort of flat, you know, with a when I really watch it with more critical eye, um, I, I had a feeling it would. This movie is a little thin. It is. It, it's well. It's more. It's more style than substance. Right, which is, oh, which is, yeah, it's a, well, style it's a, over substance. I think I I can I can uh, kind of buy uh, buy it a little bit in cinema, depending on what what the filmmaker's trying to do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of films that I like that are complete style over substance, but this one's definitely style over substance. Although it kind of masquerades as having a little bit more of a a message, and it doesn't. 
I think. If there was ever a movie I really needed Ebert to come through on, it was this one. I'm just so sad he disappointed me. Yeah, I'm almost kind of tempted to read another darling review of this just to see what... uh, 95% on the critics on... uh, That's fucking outrageous, man. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, man. Well, uh, you know, I think we need to clean our palettes next week with something that everybody liked too did people like this next one well i don't know you know uh how is it on rotten tomatoes i'm gonna look it up oh it better be like fucking awesome because uh i give it i give it four jesus christ's up (laughs) what what, what is crucifix up (laughs) uh what 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 is the uh what is the rating what it got 49 percent oh that's kind of disappointing uh all right, so Mark and I, as everybody knows, are no stranger to, to, to controversy here on the Cult of Matt and Mark. Um, I, 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 we needed to do a Mel Gibson film, like a directed by Mel Gibson film. And, and, to and be he didn't honest, do Apocalypto. I don't, how, I don't know how much old Mel has directed. Uh, he's done Braveheart, which uh, I think we all know and love. And uh, let's see. I'm looking here uh, as director. He's done. Oh, everything what I expected. A man without a face. Did you ever see that one? I know. I never did see that one. Um, Braveheart, and the movie that we're doing, which is going to be uh, the Passion of the Christ. So you're going to get two atheists reviewing the Passion <laughs> of the Christ. Well, Lisa, I was raised. I was raised with a pretty strong belief in. Jesus Christ is my personal savior. So yeah. I think it might uh, have an I think I might I might have some more input. Maybe I should go read through the gospels real quick. They're not very Well, long. okay, so I've seen this movie. I I when it it when did it come out? Oh, 2004. Oh, we were all hopped up on Jesus in this country in 2004. This was like uh Bush's re-election year and all that kind of bullshit. So the Christers were coming out in force. So uh when it got hyped, it was getting hyped like on Fox News and all those douchebags were, you know, going on about it. And then you had mega churches giving away free tickets and in uh, Texas. And there was some report of some old old guy having a heart attack in the theater because he was just so overwhelmed by the passion. Um, Isn't there a South Park where they had the, where the kids try to get their money back? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they go, this is just a snuff film. Right. No, they're just like, and like they're watching it and it's just beatings, like constantly, like just you hear like sounds of torture. And was, was that actually, was that show actually done during the time it was in the theater? Or did they go oh, yeah, like- man. Like South Park's great at putting out something as it happens. Like if there's, uh, like, I think the Octomom episode came out like literally the week after the Octomom story broke. I mean, I, they have that animation that they can just fucking like crank out in a week. I mean, it's phenomenal <laughs> what they do. And so uh, they did a passion of the passion of the Christ. But I was thinking, I really like Apocalypto. I like Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like Gibson. Go. I think he's a really good actor. I've liked him I, in a lot of stuff. Um, even even throughout his whole career. So I want. I celebrate kinda, his whole catalog. I, yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, could you imagine if your name was Mel Gibson? Well, that'd be weird. That'd be like, awesome, like, man. Oh, Mel Gibson. So uh, I know he's a misogynist, Jew-hating asshole or whatever people call it? him these days. Uh, he's a lunatic and a madman and uh, all that stuff. But uh, it's 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 a it's a nice exercise, I think, for all of us to uh, divorce the artist from the art, which I always think is important. And with subject matter like this. Uh, 
since we're atheists, view the film kind of in its, uh, I guess, unattached to all its baggage, which is hard when you're dealing with old Jesus. But uh, I liked it. I thought it was well done. I thought his purity of direction and writing is is really fucking awesome that he decided to do the whole movie in Aramaic and Latin. I mean, this fucking balls out shit right there. So, uh, anyway. You know, Matt, I just, I just remember something. I remember something I went to when I was about 11 years old. The whole family got up and drove down to, I think it was like Tuckwilla or something, and some church put on a live action uh, sort of gospel story, but it was mostly focused on... Uh, you know, Jesus, the scourging of Jesus. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was live action and they had a little like, you know, the hill with the crucifixes on, I forget. Go Gothith or whatever. Go Gothith or something awesome. And, like that. uh, you know, they had sort of the, the scenes, uh, you know, with Pontius Pilate and stuff. It was all live action. It was pretty cool. I bet really? there's one going on right now. Cause I remember it was always in the summer when it was nice. Do they out. just have like, uh, uh, squib packs just, bleeding out when they were whipping him with the scourge and all that lovely stuff. I remember stuff. it looked pretty damn good. I mean, maybe we should go see one of those this week. Let's not do that, my friend. We could, you know, let's we could take your whole family not, to it. I think Rose would like let's, it. Let's not do that. No, Rose is all upset now because uh, the Facebook people are putting uh, Arabic letter C's or something. That's like the letter for Christian on their website in in solidarity with the Iraqi people who are being persecuted by the uh, ISIS militants. I have uh, no idea what you're talking about. Are you aware of the ISIS militants? In Iraq? Yeah, I know there's a, there's some bad shit going on. People getting beheaded and stuff like that. Yeah, and so uh, these these nut jobs are, I guess, marking doors with uh, Arabic letters for Christian or something. Oh, they're persecuting and, Christians. Yeah, and and so Christians just fucking love being victims, man, in this who, country. Who doesn't? It's great. They don't when love. You, when, I'll tell you what. They don't love being victims in Iraq, but in this country, you'll you'll well, you'll get a line out the door for uh, Christians loving to be the victim. Well, uh, you know what's so great about it? It's great to say you're the victim and then in no way be victimized. Exactly. That's always Everybody the best. That. that way, you get all the sympathy and none of the drawback to getting all your all your children's arms cut off. Right, you don't have to escape into the mountains for fear of beheading. Yeah, and slowly uh, or, starve, or, or watching your family get raped in front of mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just like, oh, I, yeah, we us Christians are victims. Remember when the Romans used to send the lions at us? Totally. Oh, this has been so hard for us. So, uh, yeah, a well, bunch I'll tell you of one thing. I'm sure Obama will never send uh, do military bombing strikes in Iraq again. Oh, it just happened today. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you just missed me doing a spit take here. All right. Well, I, I know, I know, we need to finish it up, but I, I was, I, I don't even want to get into it. It's just so. It's. Well, let's get into it next week. Well, just real quick, I want <laughs> to get on my soapbox. Uh-huh. Like I was thinking about the Khmer Rouge, which is like this horrible collective, uh, um, genocidal. Was there a movie about that? Like the Killing yeah, the Fields? the Killing Fields. I never yeah. saw that. Did you see it? Maybe we should oh, do yeah. that. I saw it. So anyway, we went to go fight communism in Southeast Asia, and we ended up, when we left, we ended up with uh, the Khmer Rouge, which is like the most nightmarish communist uh, dictatorship that you could possibly ever invent, right? And I think we won, like, right? 
they kill like three million people of, the, of their own people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, that backfired horribly. <laughs> and then we go into Iraq uh, under the auspices of fighting Al-Qaeda, which wasn't there at the time. And then we leave. And then we leave behind probably one of the nastiest, shittiest versions of, of, of Al-Qaeda, this ISIS uh, group of barbarians. And I'm like, God damn it. Doesn't this tell us something? Doesn't this shouldn't maybe be telling us something? That, like, you go and fight an ideology in some other part of the world. And when you leave, you get a shittier, nastier version of it. I wonder what Dick Cheney's spin on this is. Oh, God. Can we airdrop that fucker? Just fucking kick his... Kick his 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 atrophy little body out the back of a C one thirty over Iraq someplace, you know. Just Fine watch that me. fucker tumble into the dust. <laughs> well, no, no, I want to put a parachute on him. I want him to, ISIS to get their hands on him. Right, and well, he could reason with them and go, "Listen here." Uh, he could. Oh man, do you imagine like he would actually work his wiles on them, and then he'd be like the leader of ISIS. Oh, and that you, would be you, fucking you'd awesome. You'd run a scourge across the whole uh, world. That would be a movie. <laughs> it's like, what happened? Dick Cheney went into Iraq. You know, it was his punishment. We all sent him to Iraq. What happened to him? And it'd be, like some, it'd be like some twisted version of Lawrence of Arabia, you know, where Dick Cheney is like some fucking, he's like comes out in a turban and he's just all <laughs> wild-eyed, has a beard down to his fucking belly button and just spouting Arabic craziness and like holy shit <laughs> he's he was really our worst enemy holy shit like <laughs> like there's a beheading video with Dick Cheney actually beheading somebody mm-hmm. oh man that would be that would be the least thing anybody would suspect you know right be quite honest with you I don't know if I'd be surprised uh nah it would it would fit the bill but it would be it would be quite a turn <laughs> oh man all right oh shit well i all gotta right. sit down for two hours and watch jesus christ be tortured that's jesus all I christ superstar yeah it's i do i do like jim caviezel quite a bit i really do enjoy him he's from he's from around here he's a local boy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think it's, he's, no, i think he's a really good actor so i think if there's anything i'm looking forward to in this movie other than uh i think sort of the singular vision vision that gibson can bring to films it's it's caviezel's performance which i've heard is pretty good so uh, next week, two atheists will be reviewing, reviewing The Passion of the Christ. So uh, until next week. I am Devinair.